Praise God. It says that I will place my confidence in the everlasting one. Amen. That is something to rejoice about because why can we, why can we place our confidence in this everlasting one? Because they are everlasting. And what does that mean? That means that before there was a beginning, uh, before all my sci-fi buffs, before there was a space-time continuum, uh, there was God. Amen. God was in the beginning before there was a beginning. And so this is why we can place our confidence in the one, in the everlasting God. God, we just praise you today. God, we just thank you, God. God, we just lift up your name today, God. We just thank you for your presence. God, we thank you for your faithfulness down through these years, God. Continue to bless your people, God, as we continue in worship this morning, as we lift up your name, God. We just bless you. We honor you, God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we just thank you for all that you have done, for who you are, God. God, you are everlasting to everlasting, God. The Word says, oh God, that you are the Alpha and Omega, God, the beginning and the end, God. God, we just place our trust in you, God, and we just bless you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. Let's give another hand for the babies. The babies in love, amen. Thank you, Joy, Kari. And Mariah, amen, for a beautiful uh, liturgical dance. Uh, Very much appreciated. Thank you so much. I'm sure uh, God is pleased, amen. God just loves when uh, church allows children to use their gifts to give honor to God, amen. And so also I want to thank our worship team for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, And also this morning when I walked in, uh, man, y'all almost got Tony in trouble uh, this morning, y'all, boy. <laughs> when I came, they, they, uh, some of the uh, our our missioners, some of our members this morning had uh, uh, an appreciation breakfast, and so when I walked in, I was like, I, "Well, before we got here, I was like, Tony, why are you dragging?" She's walking around the house like she was pretending to look for stuff. <laughs> I was like, "What is she doing?" <laughs> I said, like, "I gotta get down there, make sure everything good. Gotta print my sermon off." I'm like, and so, but I just, I, I felt the love and I felt the appreciation. Thank you so much uh, for those of you who <clears throat> were a part of that and planned that. Uh, I thank God for you. And, um, you know, y- y'all know me. I don't like to make our community around me. Um, but I do appreciate this. I think it's important to appreciate those who lead and um, who pastor community. Um, I, I appreciate other pastors. Uh, if there's a pastor here. Uh, We appreciate the work that you do. Any other ministers of the gospel, we appreciate the work that you do. Uh, This work is not easy. Amen. Um, But I appreciate all of you who uh, thought about me uh, to just uh, to think of something as simple as a great breakfast. Amen. I appreciate the downtown donuts. That's the name of the place, right? Oh, it's Country Donuts. Why Why get downtown donuts from? I keep telling people at work, there is a downtown. Oh, okay. But this is Country Donuts. Amen. Amen. They were good. I love those. I like that. Amen. But thank you so much. We appreciate you. Um, without further ado, I, I actually, I'm not, I really am not going to preach that long today, to be honest with you. Uh, we're going to continue in our, our series. Um, we're going to continue in our series this morning. Uh, ten words of the holy. And before I begin, I want to welcome our first-time guest. 
Uh, thank you for joining us in worship today. Uh, we appreciate you. Um, and so this, uh, introduce myself, I'm Anthony Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here, lead pastor here at Mission House, and we welcome you. Um, if you have gotten a chance, uh, please fill out a connection card if you didn't when you came in so we can keep you updated on what we're doing uh, here at Mission House with our mission. Amen. Let's jump back into the word. So we're going to jump into the second commandment today. We've been on a series talking about the Ten Commandments, and we're trying to dig deep into uh, what they mean. There's a lot of Christians in the culture today uh, that are seem to be insecure in their faith. They seem to be a little paranoid, if you will, a little fearful that somehow that Jesus is going to get take from them. <laughs> Y'all hear it? Then took God off the money. They don't pray in schools anymore. They're trying to take the Ten Commandments off the wall, off the courthouse wall. If your God can be taken out of here, then you need to find another God to worship. Because here's the thing, the God that we worship as Christians, we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lest you forget, he was killed already. He was crucified. He was buried, and on the third day, he raised from the dead, according to the Christian gospel, right? So why are people, why are Christ's followers afraid that Jesus, God, the God of the Bible, the God of Israel, the God that delivered Israel out of Egypt, somehow, some way, can be taken up out of here? I never understood that, and so we already named that last week. It's called idolatry. I know it's a hard word. But when you replace the God of Israel with some other God, apparently many Christians follow a God that can be taken out again. <laughs> this will get you in trouble. I know this is a little different. But let's get back into this. And so, you know, let's get into the passage. And we're, our, we left last week with Exodus chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through uh, 3. And so today we're going to... Go it down to uh, verse 7. Exodus chapter 20, 20 uh, verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to read this passage. We're going to dive right in. God bless your people uh, with the word of God today. God, open up our hearts, God, to receive what you're trying to pour into us today. There's something I got to tell you. I'm, I'm, I'm a little excited this morning because there's something that's down deep in me that wants to get out today. And I'm hoping that I get to it because I believe that God wants to bless uh, God's people today. And so let's read the passage here. Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 7. It reads thus. I am the Lord your God who brought brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Amen. We've talked about this already. What is this story all about? This is about God departing Israel out of the land of slavery, out of the house of bondage to become a free people. And so what has happened is, is that God is now desiring to shape them, to bring them out of slavery of themselves, to, to take the slave mentality. You know, as they say, where I come from, I come from the hood in Birmingham. They say, you can take a brother out to hood, but sometimes you can't take the hood out the brother. Sometimes you can take a group of people, millions of people out of slavery, but you can't take the slavery out of them. (laughs) 
So God is like, I don't took y'all out of Egypt. I don't took you from the land of slavery. You have departed slavery, but guess what? It's still in you. You're still slaves in the mind. As my conscience and my woke folks say, they say, you got a slave mentality. And so what does God do? God gives 10 commandments to help them depart, not just geographically. God gives them 10 commandments to depart emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually to move from slavery to free people. So that God gives the 10 commandments to free them for God. To free them for God. And to free them for their neighbor. That's what we've been talking about. Moses, the, good, the great prophet, and that's the thing about prophets, right? I know prophets, they're really popular today in the church. Everybody's a prophet. Everybody's an apostle. But the thing I want to tell you is one of the, the roles of the prophet in the scriptures, the, the prophet is one who, whose call is to make sure that the people are free for God. To make sure that the people are free for God and their neighbor. And so prophets will name the things. They will use words. They will speak truth to power, as they say. They will speak truth to the people of God to let them know that they are not free, but they are in bondage to some system, to some idol, to some unjust situation, that they are in bondage to some spiritual power that's at work in the world. And so part of the role of the prophet is to name those things to keep the people of God free. And so Moses, being the good prophet that he is, guess what? He proclaims the word of the Lord to make sure that God's people who God just brought out of slavery into a more free place is now free for God. And here's the other role of the prophet and it's hard to see these days. This is the one you don't see that much these days. The responsibility of the prophet is to keep God free from the people. And say amen. It's like, what is he talking about? The role, responsibility of the prophet, the other responsibility of the prophet is to keep God free from the people. What does that mean? We begin to name other things as God. Thank you. We begin to name other things in God, and so God will send prophetic people into the world to let us know this ain't God. Jesus ain't at the White House. Sure enough. Jesus ain't in the General Assembly in North Carolina. The role of the prophet is to keep God free for the people because the propensity, humans have this propensity to make God something else other than what God is and than who God is. This is the role of the prophet to name the things that want to make us rename who God is. Let's continue. And we talked about this last week. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and Keep my commandments. You shall not misuse. 
uh, the second great commandment. Uh, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless. Mm, it's scary. Who misuses his name? Amen. What's in the name? What's in the name? I remember there was a rivalry between my mother and my grandmother. My mom's dad, my paternal grandmother. And so I was my mom's first child. And so I was, a, I was the, am I the oldest? Well, technically, no. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think about it for a second. But I was my grandmother's heart. I was, I was the grandchild that spent the most time around my paternal grandmother. And so from a baby, I was always over there. And so uh, when the time come, uh, when, my, when I was in utero with my mom, my, my grandmother just uh, fell in love before I even fell in love with me before I even came into this world. And so I, for some reason, I just had a special place in her heart. I think because my mom and my dad literally lived across the street from my grandmama. And all the rest of the siblings had moved away. And so she was there for the whole journey. And so I remember this family stories that come about, you know, they tell you. And I was like, you know, when you're a kid, you know, even an adult, some of you might, man, where'd my name come from? You know, I'm like, why Anthony? You know, it don't sound, you know, it sounds something, you know, I, I, you know, I, was, I remember as a kid asking, why Anthony? And it wouldn't be t later until I became an adult that I learned about the rivalry between my grandmother and my mother. And so the, the, as the story goes, I don't know how true this is. You don't know how family stories go sometimes. I just take it as, I take it as gospel truth because my mama said it. And so apparently my mother wanted to name me Hannibal. Now, this is 1973, y'all. Right? This story is going somewhere. My mother wanted to name me Hannibal, right, because my mom was conscious, right? She was one of the woke folk back in the day, right? And so I remember growing up as a kid in my, in, in, my, in my room, she made sure that I at least had books in my room. And so I remember she put a big old bookcase in my room as a kid. So I wake up and look over the old bunch of books in my room, and it had the, the Ebony. Don't, some of y'all don't remember this, but many years ago, Ebony came out with an encyclopedia series. Y'all remember them, them big old ugly brown books? Y'all remember them? And so my mama was like, you know, apparently she wanted to name me. Oh, oh, yeah, thanks. Thank you. My mother wanted to name me Hannibal. And I was like, Hannibal, that's interesting. Why, mama? See, Hannibal was an African general who almost took out the Roman Empire. The legends of him, the Romans were afraid of all the military generals that the Romans were afraid of. They were afraid of Hannibal. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a, there's a chant that uh, the Romans did, you know, in, in ancient history that came, comes down to us in the annals of history. They said, behold, Hannibal is at the gates. And there was a sign of fear to the cause and the tremble. So my mom, she was like, I wanted to name you after this fierce and uh, a strategic African military genius named Hannibal. That's what I wanted to name you after. I was like, sweet. Then my grandma, then your grandma wanted to name you Anthony. At the Mark Anthony, who was a Roman general. <laughs> Y'all see where this is going, right? 
So my grandmother named, okay, so you want to name him a, a, a fierce African general. I, I'm going to name you, I'm going to name him after a general of the enemy that he was afraid of, that he couldn't, apparently he couldn't beat him. The story of that is he ran a resource because he had to march across the Alps into, into Rome. So he ran out of resources. Anyway, that's another whole story. And of course, y'all know who won. But I'm grateful because in 1991, Jodie Foster came out with a movie called Silence of the Lambs. It was about her being an FBI detective who was, who was sitting, seeking the counsel of a serial killer named who? Hannibal Lecter, right? Ironically, played by the actor who? Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Ironies abound. What's in a name? What is in a name? And so here we are this morning. God it seems to be concerned about God's own name. He says it in the commandment. He says, you shall not, you, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. We're talking about uh, ten words of the holy. This is the second word. The second word is, don't misuse my name. <laughs> to hearken back to something real quick, there's a quote from a theologian named Stanley Harwas. He says this, the commandments are first about the kind of people who ought to be and the sort of deeds one might expect from people who are formed on the basis of this story of Israel and Jesus. The, the commandments keep reminding us that ethics are not so much what ought I to do, but rather who ought I to be now that God has invaded the world through Jesus. What kind of people are we to be is what the Ten Commandments is saying. This word is saying we should be the kind of people, we should be kind of the kind of worshipers, the kind of people that follow after God that do not misuse the name of God. So God was saying, I'm going to send the word. I want, to, I want to remind you that you are to be the kind of people that don't misuse the one who delivered you out of slavery. Let me put that because a lot of times there's been confusion about that, right? What does it mean to, take, to, to, to not take the Lord's name in vain, right? That's the other translation. Don't take my Lord's name in vain. Don't take the Lord's name in vain, right? We've heard this before. And, we like, and so we, sometimes we've trivialized it in the church today. There's certain words that we say in the church. Don't say that word. It's inappropriate. Using God's name in vain. And when somebody says something, something happens in the world, you know, we say, Jesus you know, something happens that it surprises us or it kind of blows us away or just kind of, uh, you know, comes unexpectedly. We say Jesus and we hear church folks say, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, that's not what he's talking about. <laughs> what God is saying is don't get it twisted. <laughs> I ain't like other gods. Other gods will continue to get you all hemmed up like y'all did for 400 years in slavery and in bondage. And so I can't, I, I don't need y'all to get it twisted about who I am. I don't need you to assign to me what you, or who you think I am based upon what you see around other nations, other gods, what you see all in Egypt. I don't need you to understand me based upon your experience simply in Egypt. I am not the Egyptian god. 
I am not Pharaoh. Don't misuse my name. What's in the name? What's in the name? And one of the things that I learned about my own name, if you go back and you think about your own name, sometimes, you know, when, when my kids were, were being born, all of them, when all my kids were being born, um, because I already had been shaped uh, by the word of God and been discipled, and, you know, I was very serious. I, I was, like, a little too serious uh, with, about, you know, about spiritual things, I was like way, way too serious. And so, like, to the point, like, all my children had to have Bible names. Turns out to be cool. I mean, they gave them good names, you know. They, they love their names. You know, Deborah, she struggles with Deborah, you know. It's like, Dad, I feel like an old lady when y'all call me Deborah. Can y'all name me something a little fresh and youthful, you know? And her, name, her mom gave her a middle name, Elaine. So, like, old school name. I said, it's old school, baby, for old soul. You're old soul. Embrace your name. Deborah. In the Old Testament, she's one of the, as some people say in the King James, a judge. She was much more than that. She was a military strategist, a, a ruler, a political leader, a, 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 a worshiper, a, a prayer, a, 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 a powerful woman. But I remember all my children uh, and some people like this, and some cultures are like this. Some cultures, they don't even name their children until their personalities begin to show up, right? And so, like, in America, we look different, you know what I'm saying? We look at Reader's Digest, read through Cosmopolitan Magazine. Uh, we Google, like, popular names of the year. You know, we come up with some name for our children, and there's nothing wrong with that. But in, in, in this culture, it wasn't like in our culture where we kind of don't take it as serious as they did back then. So why? Because when you named your child, and see, and even in the G day of Jesus, you named your child when they saw the personality of the child. And so the name reflected who they were. So when God, if you recall the story, uh, when God calls Moses, right, before Moses even goes to Egypt, right, because Moses was raised up as a prince of Egypt. Um, he was raised in the household of Pharaoh to be a, a prince, a ruler in the household of Pharaoh. So he enjoyed and, and shared in the oppression of his own people. But when he gained a conscience or when Moses got woke, right, when Moses got woke, he went Black Panther on one of those Egyptians, right? He took one of them out because the way he would treat one of his brother, one of his fellow Israelites. And so he killed a, a, an Egyptian a taskmaster. And so Moses became a fugitive on the run, left Egypt, went to the other side of the mountain, grew up with those other folks. And so there was a point when God was like calling him back. And so God calls him to the mountain, right? We talked about mountains of scripture. Mountains of scriptures are those moments when God is revealing something to you, right? And so God sends Moses to the mountain to stand before the burning bush. And the word says in Exodus chapter 3, you ain't got to go there. But Moses says to God as he's standing there, and God begins to speak to Moses in the burning bush. He says, I'm calling you. I've heard the oppression of my people. God says in Exodus 3, I've heard the oppression of my people. I heard the cries of their, I heard their cries. I heard their prayers. And so I'm responding. I'm sending you. 
See, this is when you know you prayed rightly in your community. God begins to send people to deal with the issues in your community. And so God sends Moses. Well, he's talking to him in the burning bush. He ain't sent him yet. And so I'll never forget this scene. So Moses is standing before God, the burning bush. God's talking to him. This is probably a strange sight for Moses. Like, okay, this is strange. This is weird. Then Moses says to God, after God has said his whole spiel, when he's given uh, Moses his, his marching orders, his mission to go and tell Pharaoh to let God's people go, right? And so uh, Moses is like, man, this is great, man. This is spectacular. This is awesome. Um, but then he says this, Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, if I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? Basically, uh, when I show up before these, these folk who have been enslaved, even, he says, even to the Egyptians, um, who do I say uh, sent me? And he says, God says, um, tell him I am who I am sent you. So Moses is like, you see, in the ancient world, your name meant something, right? Because your name spoke to who you were. Your name spoke to who you were in your deepest self, your identity, who you were, what kind of character you were, what kind of family you came from, or who you, what was Now, now in, in the English, it doesn't really capture uh, really what this means or what this is saying. So, uh, and basically, uh, it's kind of hard to describe in English language what this means. I'm going to try my best real quick to say what God's name is that God gives Moses when God asks him, what's your name? And God says, I am who I am. And so, it literally means the one who causes oneself to be. Or another way to say it, and there's many different meanings of this, right, for any scholars in the Hebrew here, there's many different definitions of what this means. I'm going to give you a couple of them. And so it means one who is self-existent. Or another definition is this, one who causes all other things to be. Or the one who exists to cause all other things to exist. Think about that for a moment. Moses, go tell those slaves, go tell the Israelites, and then go tell the Egyptians that the one who causes all of them to exist, he is the one who is sending you. The one, and my other translation, African, uh, my Anthony Smith From airport, Birmingham, hung out a little bit on the west side and, and went street in East Spencer. Translation. Tell them I be. 
just sent me. Meaning that there's nobody else that has caused me to exist. There is nobody else upon which I depend upon to exist. There's nobody else who can determine who I am. There is nobody else. No other human power, no other nation, no Pharaoh, no Egypt. Nobody can determine who I am. I determine my own self. Tell them that that is who sent you. That is my name. I can hear Moses, okay. And then he goes. See, here's the thing, saints. We do not give God a name. We love to give God a name, Republican, Democrat, American, Westerner, white man, whole bunch of old different names, right? And so we call God Buddy. Chum, although God, Jesus did say he's our friend. Amen. He means something much different than my buddy, right? Uh, buddies can be fair weather, right? You know, he wasn't saying, hey, God wasn't saying, you know, you could be my Facebook friend, right? So here's the thing about Facebook friends. You can delete them. You can block them. Now, sometimes we may try to block God. But here's the thing about God. God is unblockable. God's love is unblockable. You can't delete the love of God, even though you may be mad at God, even though you don't even care about God. Even in this season right now, you probably ain't even thinking about God in a deeper way. But guess what? God is thinking about you. God is concerned about you. God loves you more than you could ever love God back. So he says, friend, we get that, but in a deep sense, right? But God's name, you, we cannot give God a name. And let's think about the God of Israel. This is give you all some theological insight to give you all some deep stuff, right? Here's the thing. So one of the things I love about the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, as we say, is that when God's name is given, it's based upon how God has revealed himself in the story. What do I mean by that? That means God ain't got no name like Bob, Fred. Sheila, Michelle, Bo, Andre, Pookie. Although there could be a theological argument made that God probably has the name Pookie. Well, that's another whole discussion altogether. Right, for real. That's another day. But one of the things that God's name is revealed to us by God. And so what are the things about this God, the God of the Bible, the God of Scripture is this, is that God reveals God's own name to ourselves. So the only way to know this God, the only way to worship this God or to respond to this God is unless first this God reveals God's self to you, however that is. So the names of God are based upon revelation. We don't claim the name. The name claims us. So what does it mean to say 
to take the Lord's name in vain. That means to assign God attributes and characteristics and personality. Is that If that is what a name really is, if a name really is who you are, your personality, your identity, uh, your characteristics, uh, the description of who you are, your personality, if this is what your name is or what a name means, then that means you can't ascribe to God any other kind of name. God's like, don't give me any kind of name. And that's what we're tempted to do with the Ten Commandments or, or against the Ten Commandments, against those ten words. <clears throat> because what God is trying to do, God is trying to give the nation of Israel, God is trying to give us a different place to stand in this world. Mm. Mm. And this is why God prefaces the statement by saying, this is the kind of God that I am. Mm -mm. I am the kind of God that delivers the powerless, the seemingly, seemingly powerless from the hands of the powerful. This is the kind of God that I am. I need you to understand that when I say, when you say my name, right, say my name, say my name. Right. Uh, when you say my name, I need you to understand what name you are saying. You are saying the name of the God that delivers slaves out of oppression, not the other way around. <laughs> These 10 words are trying to reframe who God is or how we understand ourselves. So God had to take them through a new orientation class to say that I am not the gods that you just left. I am a different kind of God. My, my intention is to free you, to give you a land so that you can be a free people to, to, to show the world what it means to be a just and loving and giving and generous neighbor to your fellow Israelites and to the strangers who may come into your country. That's another thing about this God, this, this strange God who has this strange name. Yahweh is the word, right? Or the word Jehovah. That's where the word I am who I am. That's how they turned it into an actual name. Um, the, the I am or who I am literally is another word for Yahweh or Jehovah. And so this name is Jehovah for the description, the summary of all that I just described to you. So when they said Jehovah or Yahweh delivered us out of the oppression, that's who they're talking about. This is the kind of God that we serve. And so God had to take them to an orientation. God had to say, yo, this is how you ought to live. One of the ways that you got to live is you can't get my name twisted. You can't get who I am twisted. You can't mistake me and use my name for something, one, that you came out of. And also this, you can't use my name for what you want to do. You know, it's a popular phrase in, you know, popular church. And we joke around, like some of us in Mission House, you know, we hear other people say that in Christian culture. They say, won't he do it? Right? Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? They say, won't he do it? So I remember I was with somebody, and they were saying somebody had a tra tragedy, a, a, a travesty. Somebody had a tragedy in their life. And it was somebody that they really didn't like. And it was like, man, won't he do it? I was like, you just use the Lord's name in vain. Um, you know, you can't be that callous with it. 
right? I mean, you don't know. I mean, God may have done it, but it's not for you to name. So not only is God concerned about the ways in which uh, uh, other gods will try to use God's name or how we try to assign God to the gods of uh, these other gods that mean nothing for us except bondage and slavery, but God is also trying to keep you from naming God. And this is an ongoing process. You never arrive. Matter of fact, this is one of the things I love about the Ten Commandments when you really begin to study them in, in, in concert with the great commandments of Jesus, to love God and to love your neighbor with all your heart, your soul, your mind. And also Jesus says this, to love your enemies as yourself. Even if we go back to the Hebrew Scriptures, it says this. It says God gives these, these commandments, these Ten Commandments, as a summary of the other commandments. And one of the things about the other commandments is, is how God calls Israel to be a hospitable people. A welcoming people to the stranger, to the other, to the one who didn't even share their faith. So one of the things about the Ten Commandments is this. It lets us know where we stand right now. Hmm. If you are a human being, y'all are all human beings. If you have some kind of leadership in the world, whether you are a parent, a husband, a wife, a community member, an auntie, an uncle, or whatever you may be in this world, one of the most important things that you can be is self-aware. What do I mean by that? I mean, that means radical, serious self-honesty about who you are right now, where you're at in your spiritual journey. So one of the reasons why God gives these 10 words, one of the reasons why God says, uh, don't take my name in vain, he wants to let Israel know as a diagnostic, have you taken my name in vain? Have you assigned to me your own agenda? Have you uh, prescribed or have you projected upon me some other God for some other nation? Do you know where you stand in this? Do you know who you are? Do you know the God that you worship? Or have you become your own God when you say, I ain't got nothing wrong with me. It's all about these other folk. And we're all tempted thus. Jesus says, take the plank out your own eye before you take the splinter. Right? Take the plank. It's like a big old piece of wood. That's what Jesus was saying. He says splinter in the King James. It looked like a big old piece of wood that's stuck in your eye, like where you really can't see. Right? God says, you got to, Israel, you, I need you to be aware. I need you to be self-aware. As Jesus followers, the world needs you. God needs you. Your families need you. Your community needs you to be self-aware, to know where you stand in relation to God and to other people and within yourself, right? One of the most important things we can do, save, worship God, save, give our lives totally a God. Matter of fact, this is an act of, this is actually an act of worship, right? When you decide to go around the journey, go down the journey of self-awareness of who I am. Where do I stand in the presence of God? Where do I stand in, in, in God's presence? Am I, have I created idols in my life? Have I assigned God false motives, my own motives? Because when we f fail to 
begin to become self-aware. And one of the things about self-awareness is it's a never-ending journal, journal, <laughs> journey. It never ends. I'm still discovering stuff about me. And see, self-awareness is not just about the bad stuff that we do, right, or, or the bad things that we tend to do sometimes or the bad habits or whatever, but it's also about our strengths as well. It's also about our graces, right? If we have strengths and graces, one of the things that troubles me, and I, I get on certain folk all the time, like when they try to downplay the way that God has graced them and gifted them for the kingdom of God for this world. Why are you trying to downgrade something that God then gave you? Was God wasting God's time? (laughs) You acting like God wasted God's time. (laughs) Which means what? You don't trust God's judgment? Or have you become the judge? Don't judge the gifts that God's given you. It's not worth anything. It's not yours to judge. Ah, that's a word right there. Your gifts are not yours to judge. Your gifts are, God, are those that God given you to use for the world. <laughs> that wasn't even in my notes. Self-aware. Self-aware. And so here's Israel. Amen. God's positioned them to become a self-aware people. God says, I want you to understand who I am. I don't want you to mess up my name. I don't want you to be a people that mess up my name because if you mess up my name, you become that which you've messed up. You become the name that you name that you think is me. You become that. Uh, That's why you can't get the name twisted. This is why for the church, we can't get Jesus wrong. Mm. If your Jesus is more interested in your political agenda, mm, we need you to be more self-aware. You can't get God's name wrong. What is God's name? And mind you, this is an everlasting, this is a continual uh, journey of, of learning who we are and who God is. And so uh, there's, a, there's a certain kind of humility that we should stand uh, when we stand in the presence of God. We'll begin to talk about what or who is God's name or what is God's name that point to who God is. And so there should be a certain kind of humility and a humbleness, as we say in the church, right? A humbleness. I love that word. Uh, I didn't discover that word until I came to Salisbury. Right? That's like a unique word here. Humbleness. I love that. All right? It means humility. So God wants us to be self-aware. Because why? Here's a bit of insight or something. I'm going to tie up here, y'all. See, God sent these ten words to send them on a new trajectory. Mm. To send their lives in a new direction. This is powerful. Israel had been in slavery for 400 years. 400 years. God sends Moses 
to speak words of truth to Pharaoh and to the Israelites to let them know that the 400 years was up. There's some of you sitting here today, God is saying in this season that your 400 years is up. There's some of you here today that you have been trapped in some system, you've been trapped in some history, some false story about who you are, who you have been your whole life. For most of your life, you've been trapped in some false belief about who you are. And so just like the Israelites, God said, time is up. I'm sending the word to bring you out of what you have been in. But here's the thing, though, y'all. If you know the story, what happens is Israel's in slavery for 400 years, and then God sends Moses Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness for how long? Come on. 40 years. 400 years in slavery. 40 years into entering into freedom. 400 years in slavery. 40 years in becoming free. Let me say it again. 400 years in slavery. 40 years becoming free. Mm, Let me say it again. 400 years in slavery. And 40 years becoming free. What does that mean? That means the children of Israel were in bondage and in slavery for Ten generations, but when God set them free, it only took one generation to make them a free people. There's some of you today, you look at your life, you're like, how can I come out of this? This has been my story. This is who I've been ever since I was a baby, ever since I came out of my, my community, ever since I came out of a certain kind of family, even the choices I made my whole life, all who I am, who I've been, my identity. There's no way that God can change this situation or change who I am. Some of you. Are like the Israelites. See, it took 10 generations to destroy and subdue a people to destroy their own God-given identity. Yet it took God one generation to make them into a liberated people. The enemy has sought to destroy you, your family, ever since birth, who you've been, who you are, your most basic sense of who you are, but it can take God just one spiritual season to liberate you from the false self, the lie that you have been told your whole life. See, God just needs one good spiritual season with you. God says, give me 40. God says, let's give me 40. And I'll undo the 400. God says, give me 40. And I'll undo the 400. I remember when I first thought about that, God, give me 40. That's like, God, give me 40 push-ups. It's military training. It's like, No. Child of God, some of you are now entering into a spiritual season. And what do I mean by that? When it is, um, I'm trying to find a way to describe this, um, when it's obvious 
that God is doing something in your life. God is calling you into something new, something more important. It's like when God is kind of nudges you a little bit to say, I need you to get back on course a little bit. I need you to get back in your place where you've been. You fell off a little bit, right? That's okay because I still love you, but I need you to come out of 400 into 40. This is what's happening. But God wants to let you know that it won't take another 400 years to undo what took 400 years. God says, all I need is one good spiritual season for you to yield and to surrender to my Holy Spirit, to get connected with my saints, people who will love you and welcome you and teach you the ways of Jesus and and to learn how to follow Christ and to learn who you are in God. God says, I'm giving you 10 holy words to undo what the enemy has done in your life up till now. Mm. I'm giving you 10 holy words to make you realize what you are captive to, but also who I've called you to. This is when you know, oh my God, thank you, Lord. This is when you know you in that spiritual season when what God has called you to is louder and more powerful and more powerful and more seductive than what you were captive to. My God. Let me say it again. So, so you know that you're entering into a new spiritual season in your life when what God has called you to is more powerful and more yielding than what God or what you were captive to. When God trying to cause you to to depart from something, to be something else. Another way of saying is this. God gave us ten words, this one word here, this second word, all the words, but specifically this second word. God calls us to these words to move us from our smaller self to our greatest self. These 10 words, these words invite you to turn from the small self of worshiping the gods of other nations to turn to your greatest self, which is worship of God alone. Because it is in worship that we discover. And what do I mean by worship? I just don't mean singing praise and worship songs. I mean the work of decentering the ego, the work of learning that there are other people that exist besides myself. Learning how to serve others in the community. Learning my own sense of who God has made me to be. When my calling is more important than my captivity. Mm. When I decide to give God 40, turn to your neighbor and say, give God 40. Just thank God for his mercy and his grace. God, we just thank you. God, we just thank you for who you are.